Welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast, bringing you the latest in health and technology through interviews with disruptive startups and leaders. Subscribers get a new episode every Thursday at 6pm, and I'm your host, James Summary. Hey everybody, this week we're talking about EPRs and big technology companies. And so my guest is Neil Laycock, and he's the Managing Director of Technology Giant Servalex Healthcare Division. And they're one of the largest providers of healthcare systems here in the UK. And so typically that's their Rio EPR, which you might have heard of if you've ever done mental health here in the UK. But it also extends to bed management solutions, designing interfaces for other healthcare systems and mobile solutions for clinicians. But by far at the top of that agenda for Servalec is interoperability. And so the ability for healthcare systems to be able to share data information and actually be able to talk to each other is one of the primary concerns for them and for NHSX, which has recently been set up too. And we all know that interoperability will greatly improve patient care and experience, but it's still not being widely adopted because data protection makes this extremely difficult. And so Servalec are working pretty hard to tackle all of that. And they've got an interoperability platform, but there's still so much more work to do for them and the sector as a whole in order to share patient data much easier across the system. And so myself and Neil talk about that. We talk about Neil's 15 years as a leader in technology, the origins of the rear EPR. We talk about moving up in corporates, how startups can engage with big tech companies, loads of insights about careers, about scaling tech products in healthcare. And as a CEO or exec, how still being passionate about spending time with customers to find out problems to solve is the best way to keep a business on top. And as always, if you want to get in touch with us, head over to the description of this episode to grab all of our contact details. Neil, welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing this morning? Uh, really good. Thank you, James. Uh, uh, recovering from the biblical weather that hit Sheffield in this last two weeks, yeah. <laughs> what an epic way to describe the weather of biblical. <laughs> it's certainly not that where I am. It's lovely and serene and calm at the moment. Um, <laughs> but biblical sounds equal parts epic and horrendous. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a bit it was a bit hairy around here for a while. It, it, it managed to meet the global news. Actually, I had people from oh around goodness. the world messaging me about how bad the weather was in Sheffield, which seemed seemed seemed, seemed slightly odd. But no, so yeah, finally calmed down a little bit. You're not anywhere near sea level, are you, for any sort of flood risk? <laughs> <laughs> no, thank goodness. Excellent. Cool. And so the way we start these podcasts is I get you to tell your story. So we've obviously had a call before, so I know a little bit about your background, which sounds really interesting. Can't wait to sort of dive in. But for the benefit of our listeners, mate, why don't you tell us a bit about your story? Well, thanks very much. Yeah, more than happy to. Um, yeah, so Neil Laycock, uh, I'm born and bred in Sheffield, as, you, as, as you've already found out. Um, son of a watchmaker jeweler. And although I find myself in and having run technology businesses, started out my sort of uh, educational road through through mechanical engineering, actually. So I, oh, I nice. sort of ended up going, I did mechanical engineering at, at Polytechnic and and did five years following that with uh, my, the first business that I went on the, on the graduate training with was a company called Babcock Construction. Um, and they're a big boiler maker company based up in, in Renfrew in Glasgow. And that was a, a, just a fantastic first sort of five-year career which was really go seeing all sorts of parts of the business from engineering roles construction roles uh, looking after welders fitters platers it was a it was a, a true education and, and and I think that 
it was in those early years really where I sort of realized that the, the sort of the more commercial and sales sort of side is where I, I, I naturally found myself and where my skills were. So it's funny how those early careers tend to do that, isn't it? You get exposed to so much and you sort of find out the bits that you quite like. It's so good to stay so open at that early stage of your career. Hundred percent, and I think that I think that honestly, I think that if the the opportunity, I was really lucky. You know, I got into Babcock, and they they had a a scheme that was quite well cemented. So you'd sort of spend six months in one particular department and six months in the next. So you really had the you you really had an opportunity to get a good feel for for what happened at each part of the company, and that was you know really beneficial what it did do it just allowed me to almost write off what areas that I didn't want to do so I suppose yeah. prior, to, prior yeah. to that I remember you know I did jobs in retail whether it be working behind the bar or doing certain things and you sort of I'd always encourage, I encourage my own children to, to they've all had jobs at various stages during summer jobs but actually because it's all part of finding the, the journey that you want to go on and particularly with so much out there it's sort of so I, true. I, I think it's good so so yeah Babcock was absolutely fantastic for that and um, and 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 so Sort of ultimately and ended up resulting me getting into into sales so i sort of after five years moved into a sales role um and started really actually sell, selling engineering fitment sort of gaskets nuts and bolts literally that and i did that for <laughs> for 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 about 18 months and 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 then over a over a beer conversation with somebody who was in the technology space somebody sort of said look you know you can learn more money have a load of fun and it's really exciting and i sort of thought well yeah, that all sounds quite fun. So I, I ended up going down that road and I joined what was Mercury Paging back then. So I'm showing my age. So pre-mobile phones, <laughs> the, you know, it was the, you, you still occasionally see them in hospitals and, and, and on trains, but yeah, the, the, the paging business. So I, I know them well. Yeah, I, I did. I know them I, well. And I had a, had a couple of years at page one, which was just fantastic. I, again, uh, you know, I ended up, I had a top of the sales sort of tree they're doing really well and 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 but again you know sort of as, te- as, as that sort of technology curve from i could see that mobiles were on the way and you could see this was definitely a, a, a moment where the market was being overtaken by technology it was always going to be a point at which that was going to take over and and i was lucky enough to be approached to join to join bt and i and i, and I, I spent the next five years in bt and 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 that was a you know we're talking about we're in the it was the sort of late 90s early 2000s during that period so it was really at the dot-com phase so i i was just really lucky again i sort of, sort of went into bt um started as an account manager uh, and as a sales manager and then a business director but i'd sort of had I ended up managing a team looking after what, which back then was these newly fangled ISPs. So this, uh, this so the internet sort of took off, and and back then again, showing my age before broadband, there were these dial ports that people <laughs> used to ring up through, and and we had a team. And looking back then, how, how different the world was. You know, in the early days when when that just took off, we had over over, over five hundred ISPs in the UK. Um, and I managed a group of people that, that looked after them, selling them infrastructure from from BT's perspective. So it was a, it was just a, it was, you know, dot com was absolutely nuts. We were we were literally it was a, it, the, the you know the, the whole world was going at such an incredible pace, and the change was was just incredible. And and then of course, broadband turned up, and we obviously because we were managing the ISPs, we were starting to sell the infrastructure to the ISPs to to create to create the broadband services. And, and again, that was. And that was just a, a huge, massive moment because obviously the the dial-up was was very, very slow. Obviously, and this is before there was rich media services because the bandwidth wasn't there. And suddenly, this bill of broadband turns up, and suddenly, you know, uh, all these all these other services 
uh, end up being built and are accessible. And but prior to that, it seems it just seems a million years ago. But you know, it, it, they weren't there, and so so the ISPs came up, and 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 that was you know so we my my team was selling infrastructure into those and 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 just to move my journey on i i left i left bt uh after well it was about 2002 i think it was and and i joined what is a, a now a a, a recognized name which is plusnet so i i joined i joined plusnet in sheffield i was i was lucky enough to um be offered a role there um the, Plusnet had just been floated on the A market and wanted to sort of drive into the into the broadband space and joined joined the team there, which was which was a relatively small group of people at the time, and and we 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 sort of took that business over a, a five year period from being a, a small business into a just a, a just a fantastic thing, which I'm really proud of. When I left, there was over 500 jobs in Sheffield, and it was just an amazing journey. Wow. I think the I think the what was really interesting is, and, and this is obviously this is uh, this is well before BT bought the Plusnet at the time. Um, I think the the key thing during all that was that the the thing that made it so special is, you know, it was a business that we had no sales uh, and no marketing departments. It was all built off of viral referrals. So we literally made our product the best product in the market. And the concept was obviously with a with an emerging market with this new technology. It was almost like a pub conversation. People would say, "Have you, you know, have you heard, have you seen this new broadband thing? It's absolutely amazing. You know, you want to get off dial-up and go onto it." And, and we sort of seeded those conversations with, "Oh, and you, yeah, there's this really good provider called Plusnet. You know, you, you here's my email address. You know, refer it." And, and we used to just, I think back then, I think we gave a pound off a month for every person <laughs> you referred. And, uh, and 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 we did this at the time. I remember, you know, the then, C, the then CEO and the team. It was just a magic idea. Uh, it was it, it, the, the concept was literally that, that, that they would do that. But within a couple of months, we'd got people who were, you know, back then it was twenty five pound a month. I remember it very well when we launched that. Mm-hmm. And but within a couple of months, we were getting to the people that people had referred to over twenty five people, and were actually wanting for us to give them cash. Uh, <laughs> and of course, the, so this 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 growth just sort of suddenly hit us, and. Um, and we, and then we just became obsessive about the product. We you know we pride ourselves on winning all the awards for best best in service for for customer for speeds, um, and 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 all sorts of really interesting things happened during that process. We sort of uh, we also found that during our, our you know during the journey as we were growing from the, the first ten thousand users to maybe fifty thousand users, we found that our our support centre was was just not getting the huge amount of sort of traffic that, that that normal call centers was and and through the analysis what we were finding was and, and the, the sort of referral pyramid in technology is it, it, something that i sort of talk quite a bit about but i think whenever any of us make a technology purchase i think generally we've got a friend that we tend to talk to first my my friend's called mark and mark's a, a bit of a geek and <laughs> he, seems, he, seems, he seems to know everything so i'll ring mark and mark will tell me which which sort of products i should look at it, whether it's a television <laughs> or whether it's a broadband service and and of course what we didn't realize we were getting to the likes of mark and mark was referring yeah. us. But, but what was really interesting was that if we ever had any problems with the service is those people who had been referred did they ring Plusnet? No, they used to ring Mark because they were the person yeah. who referred it. And we suddenly realized that the people who were doing our referrals were actually sort of supporting our users. So we ended up putting, uh, you know, we ended up with uh, forums because the, a lot of these guys wanted to engage. They didn't want to talk to us over the phone, wanted to do it electronically. So we created forums and we ended up doing support services. So we knew that when the likes 
the mark would come in asking us questions. It might not be for him, but it would be the, the, the 30 or 40 people he, he supported. And of course, so it just, it, and of course that just meant the fault resolution was taken down significantly because he'd almost done that first line support sort of role mm. model. And we, we said, so, so plus that was amazing. It was sort of, we, we grew it to, I think over 350,000 users and then, <laughs> and then and then B, and then BT BT bought us in in, in 2007 uh, and again that was that was an interesting journey for me personally because having had five years at BT and having left BT three of years course, later yeah. to, to get bought by BT <laughs> and um, you're back there which is back there again. same meeting rooms <laughs> <laughs> well it was it was I mean literally went back um, but no it's a really good people there and and I and I was chief exec there for the next couple of years did a couple of acquisitions during that period as well um but just but but the whole plus net journey was fantastic and you know i i couldn't claim the uh the obviously the the more recent years of you know broadband from yorkshire as much as i i, I enjoy it i couldn't claim that from for me so because i wasn't part of it i'd left by then sure. um but the business you know to see that it grow from strength to strength has just been just been fantastic so i i looked after it for a couple of years uh post acquisition and and sort of i was a i was a good guy really for that because i understood how bt worked because i've been been yeah, that's a good point. for some time uh, and an interesting lesson for actually acquisition and and and, and chemistry and, and and all that sort of stuff uh, uh so i sort of i i did that for a couple of years really enjoyed that and, and then really at the end of that i was sort of i was really looking for my next opportunity it had just been absolutely brilliant but it had become a bit more industrial the creativity elements had gone and it was just about numbers a lot point. of people really, say that post acquisition it's such a yeah. common story yeah, and I think it's not. It, I, 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 in actual fact, it was a. I think it was a very mature thing. It, the business needed somebody yeah. with better skills as well. Actually, I think. Yeah. If, if I'm brutally honest, I think that, that, that it took a different skill set of that. But yeah, so so I, I so following the um, uh, following BT, I I sort of uh, I did I did a bit of consultancy for a bit uh, just whilst I was wondering what I was to do, and and then really just fell upon a, a, a job working at Emis, and Emis is a. Images is the largest vendor doing software in the GP space. So if you go into a GP surgery in uh, in the UK, there's a there's a, sort of a fifty percent chance that the, the GP in front of you will be uh, talk, you know, will be putting your information on the clinical system, and that will be an EMIS system. Um, EMIS EMIS owned a, a website called Patient. Uh, patient.co.uk back then it's patient info now mm. uh, and I took over that as MD uh, at that point that business was getting uh, 1 million unique hits a month um, uh, from patients looking for patient information so primarily the site had patient information leaflets um, uh, drugs information leaflets so if you take it any form of medication talking about you know what it is and, and, and what the side effects might be of taking that particular um, drug uh, and that that again went through another few years there which was just amazing so again this had uh, you know broadband had taken off speeds had gone huge and I took over a website where the content was very flat very word-based and over the next few years uh, totally transformed that into digital media put Dr. Sarah Jarvis, who was just fabulous, uh, brought her into the business uh, and started really making it more like an information portal that you'd now recognize nowadays. And, and, and when I left that business, that was, I think it was 24 million unique hits a month that was getting. And that traffic was not just coming out of the UK, that was coming out of North America and, 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 and India as well in those sort of continents. So that was mm -hmm. a, that was just a fantastic journey. And, 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 and during my Five years at Emis, I did. I did. I, I was the MD at Patient for the first part of that, but then latterly ended up uh, as the MD of, of the GP business, which which is um, which is really where 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 
where the fun started my passion you know in, in in healthcare really came i'd sort of again it's sort of all about transformation if you consider that the you know PlusNet was a huge growth model uh, again patient was huge growth i went into emis and emis had a, a really interesting a different set of challenges at that particular point in time they were they'd got a couple of legacy systems in the gp base and none of them were cloud-based and they would they'd got a a new product called Emis Web, which was um, which was which was their, their new system, and that 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 product was running about two years late, as frequently does happen in software. Mm. Um, and really, that I, I was challenged with sort of getting that sorted out and, and upgrading that base. So for the for the couple of years after that, I ended, you know, we did a it, well, it was described as the largest software upgrade in the NHS and certainly in primary care's history. So uh, we did over 4,000 GP practices, you know, total business transformation at an individual level uh, and moved, moved all that base of GP practices into, into Emis Web. And again, you know, had just a fantastic team of people up in Leeds there um, and, and, and just a terrific journey. And, and, you know, so that was a, that was that again, that was just, just magic. That brings me up to I'm trying to, trying to get my dates right but I think it was about 2014 I think that broke, broke me too and again I, you know it was I was at my five-year point we'd, we'd upgraded all the GP practices and you know I think the easiest thing I could have done at that point is probably just done a 15-year career at EMIS and and sort of <laughs> retired uh, happy but I, you know, it's just not that's it, just not me so I'd sort it's of, not in your was, nature that is it no, doesn't sound like no I'm afraid you know my, my, my <laughs> wonderful wife puts up with a lot and, and uh, no it was uh, it was it was then I, I sort of I, I just thought I, I wanted another huge impossible task so of course think, why not I think like, I just felt that it was my go to do a startup you know I've been in these businesses which had been you know externally funded whether it be you know PE or whether it be uh, you mm. know on the market and I just thought no I want to crack at this and I I'd got approached to do a startup which was called Tenji and that it was a it was a messaging app and basically it was a it was a really big bold idea to take on WhatsApp uh, and it was a messaging app with with a bit of a difference in the sense that it had a unique motive factor which was a free prize drop so the more you use the the message of the more you know the, the, the more you engage with it the more people you invited <laughs> you, you you got virtual tickets and then at the end of every week uh, we had a free prize draw where you could win small prizes which might be a five pound week voucher that sort of stuff um, so it was a great it was a I got approached for that um, uh, uh, by a, a serial entrepreneur in my network and I and, and, and I thought crikey I've got to go for this looks it was great uh, I had a two-year journey of uh, uh, the, the biggest highs and the, the lowest lows, which is, of sounds like most startups. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the long and short of it, it didn't work. We spent a lot of money getting there, but it was, uh, I, I think, with I, I learned so many lessons uh, during that. I, I learned more in the two years doing Tenji than I had done, I think, in the previous 15 of my career, which sort of wow. tells you so much. That's a big, big uh, statement. Yeah, and I think that, so literally from funding, so you you know, we, we originally, we came up with the big idea and, and you know, we, we, we originally sort of came up with the, well, what it would cost us with this, you know, big area idea. And I think we said we were going to raise 20 million and we, we, know, we didn't raise 20, we raised four. And, mm. and ultimately, I think that, so instead of sort of going for a global launch, which we'd, 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 we'd planned for, we ended up doing a, a more localized one, i.e. just in, in England. Mm. And, and, and I think that it's really interesting looking back then, because I think that the, the concepts of the business was that we needed to do a go big bang on it. It was yeah. actually, it, we, 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 you know, with hindsight, a wonderful thing. But, you know, I, I think that looking back, I would have said, no, let's, let's do it when we've got all the funding in place, because we wanted that level of disrupt yeah. a model um so we, 
we launched it in England and, and, and we, you know, we got to, I think we got to 60, 70,000 users, which was on, a, on active on a weekly basis, which was, you know, which was reasonable. But of course, what you then find out is that the, the, the funders, uh, you know, particularly the VCs and PEs, that the minute you've launched, all they want is data at that point. Exactly, yeah. Absolutely fair enough. But ultimately, you know, and I think, I think it's, the, uh, I think it's the, the classic sort of American versus the UK view of risk on this sort of stuff in terms of, you know, at what point does this start making money and when does it make sense? And I think that this was always going to be one that was going to dig a reasonably big hole before it came out the other side. So by launching early, so it was a... So the journey of heartbreak really was simply because uh, almost the last throw of the dice in the last four months of, of, of us having the service up, we launched it in India, um, did a bit of PR, did some work, and over an eight-week period, ended up with two and a half million downloads uh, with the business, literally, uh, our infrastructure, white hot, ready to go, and we really thought we were there. And unfortunately, ran out of money, and, and I had, to, and had mm. to switch the whole thing off. So it, was a, it really was a... And again, trying to find funding for a, a, an Indian app run out of what was Sheffield and London at that stage was just an impossible ask. So it was a, you know, I think what it did do is I, I was I was more convinced than ever that the model did work. Um, but Interesting. I think geographically worked out that our territories that we chose was the wrong ones. And I think, you know, it's easy to sit here with hindsight. I think it was a, you know, it was a, I think one of the, the things I'm most proud of is the team and the investors that, um, that were part of that, you know, I'm still in contact with the majority of them now. Uh, there was, uh, mm. you know, the, the fact that I'm still friends with them, having it not worked, I think it's something I'm very proud of. Yeah, they, it's testament they, to your ability to hold those relationships and well, I, I yeah, think, yeah, credibility, I, think, I guess. And Yeah, I think it's just, I think it was more, to, I think it was, uh, I, I think ultimately they knew the effort that was going in. I mean, they just knew yeah. how much, you know, how much absolute commitment had gone in there. And I think that, you know, it's one of those, if, if you know, I look back at certain elements of that, there might have been a couple of times if I had a bit of luck, maybe it would have been, it ended up differently. But look, it was what it was. It was a, it was a two year journey that, that was, you know, I, I, I have no regrets. It was, mm. it was a fantastic thing to do. So, Certainly got me right into mobile technology as well. Yeah. So understanding that as well, which was it's an interesting point that you make as well about VC money. You know, it, it, it's something that comes up in my circles and my world quite a lot about you know trying to tell people that this isn't necessarily good for VC money. It's it's not VC backable for for all these different reasons. And you've raised a good point there, which is that you know once that money's in and a product's being launched there is a heavy heavy expectation of hockey stick graphs and increases in you daily active users revenues because that is ultimately what's going to pay those people back and yeah. it's over a certain amount of time and so it becomes time pressured and yep. growth quickly becomes important and all these different things and it's not often what people first think about potentially when they think oh i'm going to get 20 million or indeed 4 million quid in the bank and yeah. it's there it looks very nice and or the first tranche of it, whatever looks all looks all very pretty. But then the yeah, as you say, the pressures start to mount as soon as as soon as that launch happens. And yeah, it's it's an important thing for people to remember when they're going for VC money. Yeah, I, yeah, really good point. And I think that you know you look at the market, don't you? I mean, look at Skype. I mean, Skype never made a bean, did it, before it sold for yeah. nine billion? You know, so it's yeah. sort of so so some models just need need to have that degree of investment um you know I, I think a local business one disco in sheffield is one where i've seen david who's the ceo of that business talk about that and the difference in funding between uh, the us and here and and it's just it's very clear that i think there's a, there's just a delta in terms of the the the, the longer term thinking getting mm. to a different place um I, I can't say i have much experience of the us side i 
don't. Mm. Uh, I do have a lot of experience of pitching to the UK funders that will sit opposite you and tell you that they take big hairy risks and they'll back yeah. really big projects. But I'm afraid, I, you know, I, I but then they still might have a 10 year fund behind them, you yeah. know, so they need to see exits within that time. I think exactly. there's, there's an interesting point about fund structure here, which is that, you know, if you're going to look for money from a fund that, that has a 10 year lifespan, those yep. VCs are going to need exits in that time. I think if you go for a fund, 15 20 it's obviously it's obviously different but then you know there's evergreen funds as well that will just keep you know raising and and collecting exits as they go so you know they, they're not as time limited and so that you know a rhetoric along those lines from fund managers that have an evergreen fund behind them they're actually far more likely to take a longer term view you know yeah no I, that's a really good point and i think that i suppose it depends on the profile of the businesses i i mean at the moment i see you know it appears that there's a there's a you know that the, the market is very keen on investing in things at the moment there seems to be good money around for that if you've got a, the sort of a proposal that's on a bit on a, on a more solid business plan should we say that that you can come up with your minimal viable product get that to market uh, and come up with some solid numbers i think you know i think there's a never a better time to actually particularly in healthcare to mm. to come up with those i think it's the if i'm honest and, and i would say this because of my 10g express i think it's the really big hairy disruptive big ones it's sort of you know do i see the next <laughs> you know do i see the next app that's going to change the entire world coming out of coming out of England and I, and I sort of are England or the UK. I don't really. I think that I think it because I think to your point about that investment process. I think you know, I think there's a bit of a gap there, and it's uh, and I think of course what you never hear about is is for every Uber the other sort of you know 200 uh, you know companies that they invest in that that maybe didn't do so well. So there is Absolutely. a. I'm, I'm not suggesting. I think this is a sort of a you know that we're doing anything wrong here. I'm just saying it's a. I think it's just it's interesting looking at how 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 funding is different in different areas and how different ideas for businesses. I think you you know my learning would just be, you know, to be honest, if I if I had my time again and I was doing the funding, I would have got on a plane and I'd have gone to the west coast and I'd have pitched it out there and I wouldn't have spent any time in the UK doing it. Um, Good learning point. That's yeah. That it was that sort of that size of you know because it was a you know we were we wanted to be a big disruptor in a global market. Yeah. Um, you know we weren't trying to solve a sm- uh, you know a rather smaller problem in a, in a, in, a, in a, let's say in a healthcare sector. Yeah. So I think yes, I think it's horses for course, on James. I think it's a good point. Yeah. So it's an interesting position you were in as well because you had so much behind. I mean, you'd been CEO at Plusnet. You'd been to BT twice once once for acquisition. You know, you had you had so much in your background to suggest that you were capable of handling all this money. So actually you're right. You, you had that sort of paradox of choice, I guess, in, in terms of you, you were able to, as you say, you could have just gone to the West coast and raised the money, but you know, you decided to do it in the UK and I suppose it was a decision more than, more than anything. I mean, to a point, okay, fine. You, you raised 4 million out of the 20, but still, you know, you had the ability to raise 4 million quid in, in, at that time i mean there's a lot of people listening that are probably scraping together emailing someone the other day trying to scrape together 10k to build an mvp and all these different things and so yeah it's interesting that you that you had that choice yeah, I think it's, it, well, I think, I, I, I mean, I want to play, I mean, I was one part of, there was, we had another guy who was part of that team who was, who was, who was significant in helping the funding, who did a really good job, Mike did, and he, he's, and, uh, and fair play to it, but I think that what happens in these early, early ideas, and particularly the sort of, should we call them the uninvestable daft ideas, um, you know, that's it's a, almost, a nice, nice term, yeah. <laughs> it's very yeah, which, which are the ones, and, and if only that... I, yeah and if i if i was only not excited about them it would be much fun much more fun but i i think that the challenge for those is is where do you get the seed funding from exactly i think the seed funding is an interesting one and of course 
I think that my experience, again, I've been seeing this on a number of occasions, is, is if you can get yourself into a high net worth sort of group that where you, you, you can get somebody's in there, you, you can move within those networks. And I think that they're the sort of, it's the individuals who personally back somebody that sits in a room opposite that person and ends up with a, a personal relationship where they go, nah, you know, I think the idea is great, but I'm going to back, you know, Neil or I'm going to back yeah. that person. And I think that it's getting into those rooms. And I think that that's the challenge. And I think that, you know, I was lucky enough that, that, that you know, we didn't get to where we, where we wanted to do, but we still, you know, to your point, we still raised a, a big slice of money. And I think that was mainly due to the to, to one of the guys that we've gone on who, who got into those networks. So credit where it's due. And I think mm -hmm. that, I think it was just size of challenge. And I think that, um, I think everybody will come out of it reflecting on it slightly differently, but um, yeah. Yeah. Before we move on to serverless, there's just one more question I wanted to ask you about your, your sort of career and, and how you sort of moved up the ranks. I mean, you, you've gone upwards in corporates quite quickly, quite well, and quite consistently. What do you think the secret is to that? And do you think it had anything to do with the fact that you had sales experience very early on and you were very good at it? I mean, what, what do you think the, the value of learning sales early is one part of the question? And I guess, are there any other bits to, to this kind of meteoric rise through corporates? Because there'll be people listening that, that work in health tech at all these different places like Philips or Siemens at all these different places. So, I mean, did you have an eye on being CEO one day? Did you just focus on what you wanted to do and what you found interesting? You know, talk to me about that kind of journey. Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, I think that from a personal perspective, I've ended up um, almost there by accident on numerous <laughs> occasions. It's sort of, uh, I, I think that it's, um, I think as you, as you progress in your, in your role, I mean, I, all I know is obviously starting in sales I, and, and I think, you know, I can't help but go back to Plusnet simply because obviously from going from sort of, you know, 20 staff to 450 over a period of a few years was just incredible. And actually scaling a business like that becomes half the problem. So that the way that you, you work with your staff and your teams is essentially more, more important than what, you know, what your individual strengths are. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, to your, to your point, you know, I started in sales and I think that one of my skills is, is bringing people me on the journey. I think I'm more of a leader. I make it fun. I, I take things, very seriously, but it's always got to be fun. Uh, yeah. So, so I, you know, I, I, people who work with me laugh an awful lot because I just <laughs> think that's important. So making it fun and, and, and having those interpersonal skills to motivate people to go the extra yard to really care about the business is something that I think that I've, I've just seemed to take where I go. So I've sort of that passion and that energy is something that I, that, that I think has, 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 has sort of, brought me on that career and and and, that, and and i've ended up in those roles just because of you know it, almost by accident i think that i didn't i didn't set out to say i need to learn these four core skills to become the ceo i i i sort of i was lucky i ended up on a graduate training scheme that gave me some grounded skills um i was lucky enough to you know how many people start the first job but get to spend six months in a finance department department for instance to work out what a you know uh, you know yeah. to be able to look at a PL and be able to uh, yeah. look at it and, and dive it down and how many how many young entrepreneurs now have got a great idea but you know would be scared to death with a PL, you know spreadsheet <laughs> so you sort of it's true yeah. so i think I, I think i've ended up i had i had a broad range of skills i think that the, the my people skills is what ended up you know um uh, sort of end up with me managing more and more people um and i, and I think that you know I, I think that it's quite interesting because it, it's, it's funny because i i reflect back now is 
I, you know, I've got to the points where, where I've got huge amounts of staff. And every time I do that, after five years, I quit and start and do something a lot smaller <laughs> again. And, and that's only because I think I, I like the energy of making the change and the difference. So it's funny. I, I sort of, although you're absolutely right, if you look at my background, that's, that's where I've ended up. I think the, the fun bit for me is being close to customers to understand problems and build solutions and, and get real energy out of doing that. And I think that, you know, there's no better place in healthcare. So, uh, you know, when you've not, when you've got four or five levels of management before you, you know, you, you might see a customer once every quarter, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, if, if I don't see them every other week, then I'm unhappy because mm-hmm. that, that keeps you honest. It keeps you honest with your product. You know where you are for good and for bad, not suggesting that every business I've run has done everything right. Um, yeah. but, you, but, but, but I think we've been honest and we've always told, we've told it straight. So if we've, if we've made a say, mistake, we've said, sorry. And, and we say, we'll try harder and we'll learn from those mistakes. And I think that level of honesty in a very corporate world where people don't do that is a really good thing, you know? And I can see completely how you ended up getting into the startup game later on in your career. If, when as someone who's risen to CEO, you're still saying, I love spending time with customers to find out the right problems to solve. You know, if anybody listens to this podcast regularly, they're going to expect me now to go on the same rant that I do every single episode, but I'm not going to bore everyone again by just saying, yep, just listen to that. You know, here's another CEO who is going to the startup game because he loves spending time with customers and thoroughly understanding problems to solve by speaking to them. Let's just leave it at that. And we should probably talk about some health tech, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, 100%. Let's move move on to that part of your career. Yeah, so so sort of about 18 months ago, I I joined Servalec uh, um, and and we're we're a business that provides um, electronic patient records in in the mental health uh, space and the community space. We, we also do, uh, as a business, we've also got a social care arm and an education arm. Uh, within my business, the healthcare side of that, we've also got um, um, some quite interesting stuff, such as a, like a flow bed management pr- uh, product. So again, really big changes in the market right now I mean, you've got lots of hospitals with real challenges on on bed capacity so it's coming up with smart solutions that identify how long patients have been at different parts of their treatment and and, and utilize that bed capacity well so yeah so i fi- so after so i so finally we end up at the point now where you know back in healthcare where i'm really passionate really 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 love what i'm doing uh, and and now ended up with a, an interesting point for, for this business in the sense that this was this was uh, this was this was taken off the market by a pea pea sorry i'll say that again this was taken off the uh, off the market from a pe house um two years ago and and effectively they they've been hugely supportive and wanted a more aggressive growth plan and have been totally supportive so it was a so a a perfect fit for me in the sense that this is a a business that wants to really radically change grow develop spend time with customers come up with innovative solutions that benefit patients so really right in the sweet spot for me um and my responsibility in this business is as i say that i'm the md of of the healthcare bit so as i said i we've got with, with the uh in, in mental health, um, we've got uh, we one of the major supplies in that space, and I say community as well. So our, our Rio product is well known within within healthcare now. It's been around for quite some time, and we're 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 constantly developing that and uh, and ensuring it's it's ready. And I think probably the 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 space that we're now moving into is you know ten years ago we had the national program, um, which was you know with this concept that we'd have a single system that would fix all of healthcare, and of course. Mm-hmm. The pendulum has finally got to the other end where everybody's now talking about interoperability and, and getting 
best of breeds, best of breed products to talk to each other. So, you know, so to give a more joined up uh, service and that's sort of all under what people in the industry, it's a, not a word I lie, but an industry is equals interoperability. And I think that's where, mm. you know, a server like now we're, we're trying to drive with it with, with huge passion and pride in fact as well. Okay, cool. So you whittle through that very quickly. So I'm going to go back <laughs> and try and put some meat on the bone. So Servalec, the company that you're part of now, you're MD of the healthcare side of the business. Correct. Servalec is a technology company, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. We, and we you're, build building, our... you're building these solutions to problems that, you, that, that you're seeing in healthcare, one of which is an electronic patient record called Rio. And half our listeners are based in the UK. So half of them, and of that, probably 10% of them all know, <laughs> those people know what Rio is. So we'll yeah. go into that. And then the other thing that you mentioned there, which I thought was really interesting that I'd like to go into, a flow bed management solution. So let's start with that because that sounds quite interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, so anybody who's well been unfortunate to, to go to hospital will know that obviously you, you would enter and, and I mean, we'll talk about an acute hospital, but ultimately the way that the, the systems that we're deploying work would work in, you know, mental health and community hospitals. But obviously somebody would, would walk in and, and, and arrive as an admission. Um, and they'd then go through an investigation process uh, that would follow on to treatment. There would be then observations and that would ultimately end in discharge and that's sort of the standard journey that any anybody would see as they go through that and of course what that means is is that a patient can be in a in a bed in a, in a particular space uh, for a period of time depending on on the condition uh, and of course if you if you've got sort of you know if somebody's got a, if it's a huge if it's a, a real, relatively big hospital little 700 beds or something if there's a if there is um lots of people at let's say the observation level just before discharge if, if you knew 100 of your beds were just about to become free in the next 24 hours that would give you an, a, a very uh, you know a, a real smart way of planning what, what where, as your admissions come in so knowing where all your patients are in this cycle and how long they're there going to be and, and move them on to the next though is is is, is huge and, and so uh I mean, you still see, you go into hospital and still see people on whiteboards actually sort of penning yeah. up what, what, what people do. So what we've been doing, we've been developing a, a flow bed management system. We have it live in a, in a couple of the Irish hospitals. We've got, we've got some going into some um, uh, mental health trusts just actually as we speak. And what this does is it gives an electronic whiteboard and it allows you to move your patient around and, and, and it tracks the progress of that patient through that journey. And we're starting to come up with business analytic tools, which sort of starts predicting when beds will start will be free. And it'll just give, it will give people on the ground, which is the bit that excites me, the, the capability of actually managing that, you know, without the stress of ringing around 20 wards to find out if there's a bed free, mm. um, a, 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 a virtual view of every ward on your screen. Um, and even transferring from maybe one hospital to another or from a mental health, from an acute to a mental health hospital, all those transfers as well. So I think that the way we see our product journey moving on, and particularly it's interesting that in this space, we, we sort of started this journey with looking at one hospital, but now we're looking at a more holistic view, let's say across a region that might involve maybe two or three hospitals and a mental interesting. health community. Just so, so that's, and I think that that's another area where, you know, huge benefit but for the people on the ground make a transformational difference just much far more effective takes you know just takes a huge amount of manual labor out of it and ultimately will result in better care you know yeah i do i do know i know this problem intimately so when i was a doctor you know i can remember being i want to say the word hassled it's not hassled but i was i was 
heavily lent on by the discharge coordinator or whoever it was that was in charge of actually, you know, easing up these areas of flow, you know, when you're waiting for investigations on a patient, they'll then start, you know, asking you lots of questions all the time as to, you know, has it come back yet? Have have the results come back yet? Are you getting this patient out? Are you getting this patient out? And so I think, you know, on a personal level, it just creates that kind of friction between you and another staff member, which which just isn't pleasant. And then when you extrapolate that across a whole organization or a whole region, if you look at that entire ecosystem, yeah, there's going to be these friction points. And similarly, there's going to be points where there are areas of, of bits of slack where, where other areas could pick it up and all these different things. And so evening out that system is such an important thing to do just for just, I mean, yes, patients, but also staff, because it just creates so much tension in my experience as a, as a doctor that just doesn't need to be there because ultimately everyone is there for the right reason. Everyone is there because they want to get patients better and they want to treat people properly and they want to get them home. Everybody's aligned to that. But then obviously within that, there's these, there's these friction points of, well, I need the bed because I need, because the A&E person's annoyed because they can't move anybody up and, and, and all these, all these different things. Right. And I think there's a, there's a good company called transforming systems, which you may or may not know about, which do this at kind of acute emergency bit. Whereas this sounds like it's more kind of secondary care within hospitals and looking at that sort of stuff. It might be yeah. quite similar, but I think it's all just such, such, such important work. And I think anyone, anyone out there that's got ideas of, of how to improve and even outpatient flow within hospitals, I think you're, you're definitely, you've definitely got a customer base waiting for you. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that the, uh, I, I, I think, you know, that absolutely reflects what we see with, within our user base who use it, we get close to. And I, I think, you know, the tools that we're trying to sort of develop are such that, you know, once you've done discharge, you know, let's say the bed needs to be cleaned. Well, you know, what's the time period between discharge and the bed getting cleaned? And actually, you know, if you can shorten that, then you can get somebody in it. And each, you know, that's just one example of, of, of a, you know, one little stop between one of those steps. And I think that... Um, I, I think by by we've just we just decided that you know strategically we said we're going to be the best at flow management bed management. We're just going to mm. keep drilling into that detail to just make it the most effective. Um, you know, managing your beds, you're just doing it at the most effective point. And I think one of the biggest challenges, and this this will be common, and you'll you'll know this from your experience, is you know certainly some of the hospitals we're talking to who are so dependent on the whiteboards right now the concept of bringing technology and is almost frightens them to death you know because it's a uh, reliant on a system it's a new system there's a degree of training there's so i think that you know that the change management process this is not just about the software this is this is not just about providing the right software platform this is about you know transforming the system so that people you know embrace it and use these tools and become dependent upon them and i think we've seen you know we've seen that you know say in the irish hospitals we've got we've seen people completely commit to it and seen the benefit at the other side and it's uh, you know i wouldn't underestimate the the, the challenge of the change uh, but done and managed properly um it, you know it can be transformational so that's you know it's a really exciting area of our business I like the fact there that you mentioned something that I didn't expect you to mention, which is the, you know, the time between someone being discharged and the time it then takes to clean the bed. I mean, that's the level of detail that you absolutely need. It's just essential to have that sort of detail in order to figure out how to do these whole processes properly. So I absolutely love finding ways to make my life more efficient just on a day-to-day basis, whether it's leaving the house 30 seconds earlier to miss this one yeah. car that's always in the road, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I think, 
that is genuinely the level of detail that you need in order to approach a problem like this because capacity is so low and that there isn't any low-hanging fruit in this system it's all going to be extremely difficult to find out where those efficiency gains are to be made and i also like the fact that you appreciate the transformation cost because what you what you perfectly um laid out there was was something that I always came across as a doctor that was just irritating people trying to change things, which is that you're already at 100% capacity. And in order to introduce something new, you're going to have to somehow create even more capacity in order to learn a new system. So you're going to have to get less efficient temporarily (laughs) before you're then going to see the efficiency gains in future. And unless the startup or company coming in is going to you know, put some money into to extra resource something to put a new staff member or to, you know, really hold your hands through the adoption process. You're going to get exactly what you've had, which is people getting their backs up and actually saying, we haven't got the capacity, the time or the inclination to introduce something new, I'm afraid, because at the moment it's a workaround, but the whiteboard, the whiteboard works and yep. it works for us. And okay, you're telling me that I can be way more efficient with a computer system, but in the meantime of me moving from the whiteboard to the computer system, frankly, people are going to get missed and people might, you know, come under harm. And so it's just not something that we're willing to do. And I think it'd be interesting. I mean, one thing again that I liked about what you said there is that you didn't mention the words AI or machine learning. <laughs> Even though quite clearly, yep. quite clearly, this is something that could be amenable to that. And I assume oh, yeah. it's part of your roadmap. Now, I quite like that you're just focused on solving the problem in, in what needs to be quite a practical way. And it is 2019. We should be talking about AI machine learning, but actually it's realistic to assume that there's uh, there's broken printers and fax machines to, to fix before before we start talking about AI machine learning when it comes to patient flow. No, I think 100%. I think we t- it's more of a journey, actually. I mean, ultimately, you do the transformation. I, my experience is take, take them through the trans- transformational journey, hold, hold the hand on that, and then start using the system. Uh, and the clever stuff comes afterwards. You know, it's actually, you know, uh, you know doing, doing the, you know, the, the, the predictive stuff and the analytics really comes at the, that next stage and of course it's that's that's the relatively easy, easy part once everybody's actually using it because obviously yeah. the, the data's the there, and I think, there yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so i think it's i mean i mean one of the ones that we're already observing is so you know, how many people have, have, have sat in these situations waiting for a discharge but waiting for their prescriptions and and maybe wait in that bed for you know not an hour not two hours but maybe the day and that day could be utilized and actually it's getting and actually looking at that data and putting it on a dashboard so you actually can spot that period, you know, huge, huge areas where that just, I think to your point, just avoid the tension because, you know, this is mm-hmm. not as if, you know, people aren't doing this deliberately. It's just the system is creaking and, uh, and there's pressure and that's resulting in high stress. So I think that, yeah, these tools, I think are going to shine a light on the areas where things can be improved. And then, as I say, once, once, once hospitals started using it, then the, and the, the the predictive suite that we then put on top of that will then then really start you know leveraging sort of huge gain and and mm. but you've everybody's emotionally bought in at that point you know mm. and again you didn't mention AI machine learning so I like that <laughs> <laughs> well you know what honestly predictive suite clearly I, clearly involves I, that stuff yeah yeah, yeah to be honest I I, I I I must get LinkedIn I must get five 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 people <laughs> a, sort of a week telling me that they've built the latest smart platform that does that and I, and I think that so I, I I try to keep it real and keep it into a conversation people understand yeah good for and you. I think that this seems logic you know 
because that's the problem that you need to solve for people that nobody cares what's under the hood they just want to know that this box is going to come in and solve the problem like it doesn't matter whether it's ai machine learning vr you know who cares for, for if, you, if you're the customer i mean because you're already at 100 capacity trying to manage all these patients coming through your hospital like i don't yeah. need a detailed technical explanation of, of what artificial intelligence and deep learning are you know it's yeah it's, and, um, and yeah, particularly when you put it you know when, when we present that sort of stuff afterwards you know and we present that on a big screen it, mm-hmm. it the it does the talking for itself because mm. it just it, it sort of opens your eyes to the achievable so no mm. i agree <laughs> so tell me about rio so i i've used rio i did a liaison psych job as a first year junior doctor so i've used rio i'm familiar with it but how um, yeah tell me about rio as a as a product and and just as an epr but i'm interested in the journey that it that it sort of you guys went on to, to build that and implement because you guys have, have basically got an EPR at incredible scale yeah. in the U, in the UK. That is something that is commendable, and I'm interested in that journey. Yeah, I, I think that again, this is so. I mean, this is this is prior to me as I've been here 18 months. But if we, sure. if, we if I took you on the Rio journey, obviously it was the the national program uh, uh, chose chose this for obviously the Mental Health Trust. So that uh, essentially. Um, uh, everybody was mandated to use the system at the time, and, oh, right. and from from what everybody tells me, because it's an interesting journey, you know that that that's been, that was a, both a good and a bad experience. Because um, obviously, contract was, to win though. Goodness. Well, I, I think that it's. Uh, I think that I think that obviously it was a it was a it was an amazing result to get that, and obviously the system was then deployed, but then ultimately got itself pickled in the, in the mixture of of of, of that deployment. So there's multiple trusts across the UK asking for all different requirements, and, yeah. and this concept of a single system all going through. Well, then mm-hmm. it was BT, so it was sort of so all, <laughs> with, yeah. So it's sort of a, you know, there's, there was all those challenges, and I, and I think that so so what happened during that is that obviously a, a lot of people on the ground got very familiar with with Rio, which you know looks sort of like yourself. So it's a lot of people will have will have known rio a bunch of people for for good reasons and some people got very frustrated with it because it didn't do what it wanted and of course mm. um because all those requirements at a national level were being drilled down the system historically had been felt as though it hadn't progressed and of course what then happens is of course you know going back five six years ago the national program stopped and then in the trust individually then had to sort of choose which system they would go with uh, and the vast majority of of those people uh because the market hadn't opened up to new systems had come with us and this is the same across the whole whole uh you know portfolio of it at that point so they had to recontract and so trust came with us and 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 then you know over these over these years well, certainly if, I, if you bring these the 18 months that, that that i've been here we've ended up you know I've taken the approach very much like I did at PlusNet with a very strong user group with a, sl- a strong voice, uh, um, you know, voting on, on what, you know, what functionality they want to see within the system. Mm. You know, we have a, we have, a, we, we public, we openly publish a roadmap now. I'm a great believer that, that, you know, if you hold yourself accountable to that, you know, that like any roadmap, you know, there's a, there's a degree of flexibility on when you, when you're going to mm-hmm. launch a product or maybe some of the specification, but broadly speaking, you can give people a clear direction of, of what they'll get in each release. So, mm-hmm. so as a product with that transparency as well. Uh, exactly. And so, so we, we, we do a, re, a release of Rio every six months. We do a, a new version and we upgrade oh, nice. our trusts and they get the benefits of, of whatever module. So it might be an e-observations module that they might have attached to it or, um, you know, uh, an electronic prescriptions. It could be a number of different 
different modules that they they will take with that but we've so we've been on a real journey and, and, and of course we've integrated the flow product within rio so again so you know you can see from flow you'll be able to go straight into the, the electronic patient record exactly like you said so so yeah so rio is sort of interesting it's it's uh the, the the product that was of sort of 10 years ago the mm. vast majority from a software perspective has, has been rewritten um there's, there's do you know where the name came from do you know i don't that's a really good question i i think i should do <laughs> yeah, i should i should do so it's, <laughs> yes yeah, but it's it it's funny there's it's I, quite I an pro- abnormally quite cool name for, for, yeah, no, for something I, that's mandated across the entire like, nhs mental health service interesting from a branding perspective any marketeers would think it's actually a challenge isn't it that not people not a lot of people sort of have heard of Serverlake, but everybody's heard of Rio. So it's yeah. funny when you when your product name sort of you know sort of outweighs your actual. It's you, all you, personified. It, it, it's personified. It's interesting as well because so I um yeah the, so the first job that I had as a doctor was psychiatry. So I used Rio, and so when I when I first got onto the wards and stuff, I was using this electronic patient medical uh, uh, yeah electronic patient record, and. Um, if the if they'd been to a hospital down the road, I could see all their notes. If they'd done this, if they'd done that, if you know wherever they were, whatever they'd done, I had this nice history. I had all their recent consultations. I I then moved into into medicine and uh, did not have this electronic patient record anymore. <laughs> and so I very naively was just like, oh, they've come in through this A and E, but doesn't seem like they've got any notes at this hospital. I'll just go on uh, some sort of system and just find their notes from everywhere else. No, no, does not happen. You know absolutely nothing. And all of a sudden you have no clue who the patient is, what the patient's doing, whether, whether they've got allergies, whether, you know, any of that sort of stuff. If so, and it's just a, it's just a nightmare. And I, I just think as a system, just a comment on EPRs, I suppose, I mean, less Rio specifically, but just as, as a system, Yes, Rio work Rio, but but an electronic patient record that just allows you to see what patients have done recently and in their entire history with all the information in one place is just ludicrously powerful for anybody that wants to treat someone well. Yeah, I, I mean, and and I think that's absolutely one hundred percent right, and certainly our experience as well. I think that, yeah, an example I've just been working on recently. You know, you sort of a common thing that 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 the, the, the industry you know it seems to. Have, got itself into a place of you know if you take some an old age pensioner that may have got you know ill overnight and enters into any and, and gets admitted to a bed you know if they've got a district nurse coming to see them the following morning and they they so, so, so the district nurse will have no access to any information that will they'll know that that that, that, that oap has gone into a and e so so that that could easily have occurred um and then of course she comes to deliver or he comes to deliver that that sort of degree of care um knocks on the door can't get in now quite worried about the, the health of that, that of that individual you know next minute ringing the police or an ambulance service who are going to knock on the door and right can't get that person up so the next minute is they knock the door down then to find out that there is you know that there's nobody inside uh and you know and, and then you find out that actually all along this this poor individuals at the local a and e and all that or because the information hasn't traveled around between maybe a social system, a social care system and a healthcare system, that, that, that we end up in these sort of daft scenarios where we've got, you know, all the, the loss of waste of a district nurse visit, a police call, an ambulance call, repairs to the front door, you name it. Um, so, so getting that information across, that's what certainly we 
we you know we've been we're trying to you know we're fixing these problems on a on a daily basis now which is so you know so liberating but so to be able to to access this information this is this interoperability bit so this is so that you know people can see of you so there's absolutely no reason that if you walk into your gp provider you know gp provider should have an access to, to the, the view of, of the rio record if, they, if they've got potentially mental health issues for instance uh, and likewise if 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 you know if if a patient goes to an appointment a uh, mental health trust you know if if they've been to see the gp uh, in between the last visit well maybe those notes should be surfaced for that because it will give better care and these are you know this isn't hard is it? it's, it's just views isn't it at this point so i think yeah you know, we're, we're, we are right at the forefront. We've built, a, we have a, we have a product called Connexus, which is our cloud based sort of uh, API platform, which is where we're plugging all, all the calls that we've got on our systems, whether it be Rio in, in healthcare or Mosaic in social care, where we're pulling them into that cloud so we can move this information around more and more. And, 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 you know, there's a real appetite to do it is I think that it's really interesting. I think that looking at the NHS 10 year plan interoperability is right at the heart of that. I think it's great to see that, you know, the, the, you know, the, the GPIT's framework to get the GPs to open up more and share as well. I think, you know, and from a vendor side as well, we've seen interopen, which I think, you know, really exciting that actually all the vendors are starting to agree on, you know, such things as the fire technology. So there's, the, the, I think we're a really, I think the next few years are, are going to be tremendously exciting because why? Because I think we've, we've got a point where the the industry knows that it's got to do it which is great uh, the i you know the, the the silos of information where you know interoperability hasn't happened is just simply unacceptable it's morally unacceptable and now within contracts it's been baked in that that people do that so i think that you know finally wouldn't, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be fantastic in a few years' time where we where we just assume that wherever you entered the system, you know, there would be a view of you uh, with wherever you've been? I, mean, I don't think that's. I, I think that's something that we should. Uh, I, I think we should. We should mandate mandate ourselves to do. Frankly, I cannot think just how many problems you are likely to have solved with Rio that you'll know absolutely nothing about. You know, the, the, I mean, just. The amount of times that you'll that you'll have found some information that is incredibly relevant, incredibly pertinent for the quality of care, but also the efficiency of care, as you say, with people coming around the next day, all those different things that you mentioned, that unifying system to allow any clinician to figure out what's happened within within that person's mental health history to determine their care and future it's just it's just i think honestly i wouldn't even be able to add up the amount of problems that are solved and in order to in order to roll that out across all specialties and and just so you've got you know one record every i, mean, I can't on again i can't imagine how many problems that would solve do you think it's realistic uh, well, I do. Uh, I mean, look, I mean, Rome wasn't built in a day and you've got to do them one by one and you've got to actually go down on the ground and speak to the people with the problems to identify them. And that's 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 exactly the way <laughs> Again, to start. For the back people to... listening, I say this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, customer patient, same thing. So you do that. And, you know, we're certainly doing that. I think I think, James, I think what's really interesting is I, I'm even more optimistic, the truth be known. I mean, mm. yes, it will take time. Right. So, of course, it will. But I think, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to accelerate that. We're making it very clear in, in our messaging to everybody that it's, it's a key to our strategy. And we'll, we, will, we will tell people what we've done as we've fixed stuff. Mm. But one of the other incentives, and I think this is really more for startups, for people, for partners, for people who are trying to get into this space, there is, a, there is a, another thing that happens here. Because if you open up your API, 
right? So we're a big vendor. You know, there's only, you know, like any software provider, you know, we'll, we'll you know, we'll get asked to do 100 requests from our customers and we can only ever do, let's say, you know, 30, 40 and a quarter. So there's a funnel. Um, well, guess what? If you start opening your APIs, you can then you can then use partners to develop stuff. So never is there a better time for, you know, smaller entrepreneurial people to come in into this space, which again, I have a heart for because it's, it's, it's my background, but to, to, to say, we, you know, we, we, we just, we've just launched a partner program and why? Because the APIs we're doing, and obviously under information governance and all the checks and balances that you would expect us to do, but we can bring these people in to develop new solutions that talk to Rio. So immediately you've got a connected product. So, so they're, not, they're not trying to knock on the door of the big vendors to, to actually say, you know, come and talk to us. These APIs are going to have to be produced so, such that the systems talk to each other. The net effect is, is that anybody, you know, who wants to take that a step further can open them up to a partner network to develop products that they might consider as non-core, but make a massive difference to people on the ground. So I think, you know, so to your point, yeah, it will take time. Uh, no question. Or, you know, it, these, are, these are big shifting plates. It will take time. But it'll take some vendors to be more aggressive and drive this. And, I, and, I, and I, you know, from a personal perspective, you know, I'm passionate about making sure ServerLake's right at the front of that queue. Amazing. You beat me to my question there, actually, which was, you know, how can startups help in this, in this new kind of generation? But a partner program, absolutely amazing that you can just plug in and, as you say, have a connected product. Yeah. What sort of companies, what sort of startups are you looking to work with in that partner program? Because there will be a fair few listening that might want to get in touch. Yeah, yeah. No, I think so. So what we have done, I mean, again, and, and again, from and, and this is unsurprising because of my mobile background, but of course, you know, we, we, we get we get knocked on the door literally every minute with people who want to build an app uh, and that's <laughs> now of course you know you, you've got to bring in clinical safety you've got to do all this and due diligence what we did is recognizing our capability we ended up in a strategic partners with total mobile so you know a huge vendor in the space with a pedigree of delivering stuff um so we've ended up now and they've so our own branded serve like mobile rio element is now built by them and of course that means that whilst the rest of our product development people are developing other stuff we've got you know the, the the team at Total Mobile developing our mobile suite, and there's you know there's a uh, there's, there's a whole suite of of mobile stuff. But I mean we're seeing we're seeing people developing patient portals. We're looking at all sorts of sort of different areas where people are just trying to fix smaller problems. And I think we you know we've just launched it. We've just told people what we're what we're going to do with it. And I think you know we we have a partner program manager Karina, and she she's I think we've got over a hundred. Um, companies that have approached us during the first few weeks so that sort of gives you an idea of the the, the pent-up sort of appetite for this yeah, it doesn't surprise me dude and, and and i think you know so for, for us this is just a question of working out which ones we're going to do and like you say they've got to go through technical due diligence You've got to go through through all those hoops and that is the you know that's the reason why just going through those to start with but the minute you can do it then off you go and um so yeah, I think mobile's a, a big area that we'll see growth, and I think just at a more local level, it'll it'll be the smaller stuff. It'll moving moving things from A to B or or smaller tools. I mean, I'm, the social prescribing um, is something that's really gaining some traction again. Again, part of the NHS ten year plan, and so we've got a, a number of uh, of players who are talking to us about that and and introducing that within Rio as well. Which again, it's just a perfect fit and something we're going to never get around to doing because so but but why why should why should the you know it's trust not see the benefit of those so yeah so we see that as a really exciting 
journey, early stages right now, um, you know, and, uh, but, but, but really excited about that future. Amazing. Neil, I can't believe we've run out of time. I, I've just spotted the time. We've been talking for, a, I think, over an hour. Incredible. Um, but dude, I mean, it's been a pleasure having you on. I think all those insights about careers, all the insights you know, in, into how you've scaled and, and uh, your Rio and your, your Flowbear management solution and, and the reasoning behind it. I mean, it's all, it's all incredible learning for our listeners and, and me, actually, to, to figure out you know, th- things like e- even just not mentioning AI, AI machine learning unless you really need to, you know, just little things like that, focusing on actual practical solutions to, to problems. And even as being, you know, as a CEO, still being passionate about spending time with customers in order to find out the best problems to solve and how to do that, those in the best way. I think that's, you know, really good lessons for everybody listening. Um, and the, I guess the final thing to say, mate, is that the way that we close these podcasts out is that I'll hand back over to you to just kind of summarize a bit about yourself, a bit about the company, and to close us out with any asks that you might have of our audience. So by all means, uh, take it away. Uh, well, thanks, James. It was, it was, it was, well, firstly, thank you for your time. It was an interesting chat, and it's funny, I, I, going through my career, it's... <laughs> It's time to reflect and look at crack. You seem to have covered quite a span during that period, actually. <laughs> you know, a lot so, of people but... come in here and say that stuff. They're like, oh, God, I've not told these stories in so long. You know? <laughs> yeah, it is. So, yeah, no, I mean, look, I mean, I think from, from, a, from a Civil Lake perspective, you know, we're, we're, we're really excited about the future. I, I think that, you know, um, the partner program is an area where people who are... Who, who, who are looking at bringing innovative technology into this space is, and I and I think this is not just Servalec, by the way. I mean, I think that you know, I think that people who are trying to get into this space should look at the other vendors, and look at the GP providers, look at the acute providers, because they're all going to be starting to do these APIs. So it's keep a close eye on what's available uh, and, and and get on that because you know, get down on the ground and start finding problems to fix. Because I just think we're going to end a world where where historically that's just been almost impossible. I'm not even going to say it's going to be fixed tomorrow. But what I will say is on the direction of travel without a, a seismic shift, that's where we're going to end up. So really good time to do it. And as I say, anybody who's, I mean, from an acute perspective, anybody's got bed management problems, then, you know, by all means, give us a shout. Because um, you know we've got we've got a, a great user group coming together on there with with people doing some shared learning, looking at opportunities, and um, you know any anybody that, that wants to talk to us about that, by all means, get in touch. Amazing. And if people want to get in touch with you, Neil, how can they do that? What's the best way? Well, you can either go to the, uh, probably the best point of call is take, go to the website because you'll see there's the whole partner program area in there and, and I, and I get sight of all that. So any, 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 any access directly through that. And, um, and if not find me on LinkedIn, I'm usually, uh, I believe in community. So, uh, uh, come and say hello. And, um, and I'll, and I, I always try to offer help wherever I can. I think if you've done the entrepreneurial journey, you're trying to nudge people in the right direction. It's, uh, it's, uh, it, you know, having been there myself in different points trying to do startups you always try to help people so um yeah at the first point of call go for the website um and um you know we'll pick up all the inquiries that way excellent and for the benefit of our listeners i'll put all of the links to neil's socials and websites and things in the description of this episode so neil thanks so much for coming on it's been a pleasure dude great thanks james hey everybody and thanks for listening to this week's episode and making it all the way to the end If you enjoyed it, remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow us on all of our socials so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.